0: welcome back to another edition of on the record the daily islands weekly news podcast where we break down the paper's top headlines from the week i'm your host and co-producer eleanor hildebrandt and i'm here with our co-producer Haley marks on today's episode we have three special guests we will be chatting with Daily Iowan News Editor Riley Wilson and Managing Digital Editor Kelsey Harrell. I will also be switching sides of the mic this week to chat about my profile of the newest student regent. Whether you're in the car, at home, or in the classroom, we'd like to welcome you to this May 7th edition of On the
1: Record. I'm Haley Marks, On the Record's co-producer, and here are this week's headlines. On Wednesday, the Daily Iowan reported on one new case of COVID-19 on the University of Iowa's campus. As of May 5th, one additional student and no employees self reported cases of COVID 19 since Monday, May 3rd. As of Wednesday, there have been nearly 3,674 positive coronavirus cases since the 2020 2021 academic year began. This was last week of regular classes for the 2020 2021 academic year, which will end on, on Friday, May 14th. A Monday's print edition, the DI covered four activist groups from Iowa City and the University of Iowa hosting a Bye Bye Bruce event on Friday to celebrate the ending of current UI President Bruce Harold's term. The groups also made demands for the newly selected President Barbara Wilson. More than 100 higher education institutions in the U.S. will require students to receive the COVID-19 vaccination for the fall semester, but Iowa's public universities will not be among them. While the State Board of Regents will not mandate the vaccine, it is strongly encouraging students to get the vaccine before returning to campus. On Tuesday, the Daily Island reported on the Iowa Department of Public Health and identified two cases of the India variant of COVID-19 in Iowa. In an email to participants, the UI announced that based on project attendance for the first-ever celebration of graduates at Kinnick Stadium, the UI 2021 graduates can now bring up to six guests to the event.
0: In Wednesday's print paper, the Daily Iowan wrote a story about a provision in President Joe Biden's American Rescue Plan of 2021 that makes federal student loan forgiveness tax-free until 2025. The provision won't have a significant impact on students with relatively new loans, but could prove more beneficial if Biden directly cancels student loans in future legislation. Iowa City walked in solidarity with the Meskwaki Nation to raise awareness for missing and murdered Indigenous women on Wednesday. The walk aimed to bring attention to the national violence disparities against Native women as a part of Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women Awareness Day. On Thursday, the DI reported on UI administrators citing leadership transitions and pandemic turmoil as reasons to forego searches and allow the appointment of internal candidates to permanent positions this spring. Provost Kevin Kriegel, College of Liberal Arts and Sciences Dean Sarah Sanders, and Executive Officer of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Liz Tovar were among these appointments. And this week, the Daily Iowan covered three forums for the new Associate Provost of Graduate and Professional Education and Dean of the Graduate College. The search was conducted internally after current Dean John Keller announced in March that he would step down by the end of July. The appointment for the next Associate Provost and Dean is anticipated by July 1st. You can read all these stories and more in the Daily Islands print editions on Mondays and Wednesdays or online anytime at dailyisland.com. The University of Iowa has a new president. On Friday, Barbara Wilson was selected as the 22nd president of the UI and will begin her term in July. One of the Daily Iowans news editors, Riley Wilson, covered her selection and the press conference where Wilson and the State Board of Regents spoke about the decision. Welcome to the studio, Riley. We are delighted to have you on today. How are you? I'm good. I'm looking forward to summer break. Yes, it's a very, very needed break from this year. You also were able to attend the press conference where Wilson and members of the State Board of Regents spoke about the selection of the new president and it being Barbara Wilson. What did she have to say about her plans for the next five years as she steps into this role?
2: Well, she didn't really outline her five-year plan at the press conference, but I did ask her about what she wanted to do in her first year and what she emphasized she wants to do a lot when she gets started is meet as many people as possible, so she talked about students, faculty, staff, um, but also talking with administrators um, and legislators in the state. There've been a lot of kind of contentious bills in the state legislature this year, eliminating tenure and kind of talking about free speech on campus. So she talked about getting started building those relationships, you know, in the state house. And then also about meeting people in the community, um, in Iowa city, kind of talking with those people who may be aren't students who don't work for the university, but are still impacted, impacted by the leadership there. Um, And She also talked about taking a hard look and kind of familiarizing herself with what the strategic plan is at the university right now.
0: Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to see as we get into a new strategic planning kind of process as the new one starts in 2022. And obviously, this is a pretty big deal, having a new president, especially because Wilson is the third woman to hold the top position at the UI. What did campus leaders have to say about her and what are they looking forward to as she starts?
2: Overall, Wilson was a really popular choice. The Board of Regents released um, the campus feedback kind of on the four different candidates for president um, last week. And Wilson was the most popular choice out of the four finalists. Um, Around 80% of people said they either strongly supported or supported Wilson becoming president. And I think what really, what makes Wilson such a popular candidate is the level of experience that she has. Um, you know, she was the most senior administrator in the search, and coming from the number two position at Illinois, I think people think that this is a natural step up um, and that she has that leadership experience. So in general, she she's a popular choice um, among faculty, and they're looking forward to having someone with an academic background in the presidency one of the main kind of stipulations or qualifications for this presidential search was that the candidate needed to have a PhD or some kind of terminal degree. That was kind of the non-negotiable throughout the search process. So I think people are people are happy to see someone who's an academic with a PhD um, with a lot of senior administration experience as well um, come into the position.
0: Yeah, definitely. And Wilson signed a five-year contract with the regents. So what does the timeline look like from here? When does Wilson come to campus and how can the university prepare for this shift in leadership?
2: So she starts on July 15th. Um, Bruce Harold's last day is May 16th so in that interim um, John Keller who's the dean of the graduate college uh, will be the interim leader of the university. I'm not totally sure what the transition process looks like, honestly. I think at Friday's press conference, um, Wilson kind of spoke about that too, where she was like, I found out I was getting the job 30 minutes ago. So asked me down the line about what the transition process looks like. Um, But that's a good question. And hopefully something we'll know more about, Um, kind of as Harold is kind of making his way out of the president's office
0: and Barbara Wilson um, comes in. Yeah, hopefully, we get more information about that as a campus community, just so everyone is prepared. And prior to her selection, as you kind of mentioned, Barbara Wilson has served as the Executive Vice President and Vice President for Academic Affairs at the University of Illinois Systems for a few years. Did she have any plans to lean on her past positions as she moves to Iowa to look for some direction in decision making?
2: Yeah, so she talked a lot through her campus visit and even in the press conference, kind of about how her experience. Um, at the University of Illinois system would translate here. She talked about the initiatives that she's had with diversity, equity, and inclusion. One of her big focuses is she talks about how do we teach you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion to first year students the moment that they step on campus. She's been implementing that kind of education at Illinois. And that's something she talked about here. She's talked about retaining more women um, and people of color on faculty at Illinois and kind of how she wants to bring those processes promoting more women, more people of color to positions of leadership and faculty. And she's talked about, she talked about what her initiatives keeping, you know, graduates of the University of Illinois in the state. Um, That's a similar issue in Iowa, where a lot of graduates of the university will leave the state. So she's talking about kind of using that experience to get convincing students about employment opportunities within the state. Um, And she talks a lot about Students. um, Throughout her career, she said she's been very student focused, and that what she misses in her assistant role is talking with students. So she says what she wants to get back to it at Iowa is is getting to know students better and having those connections with them.
0: Yeah, well, it'll be an exciting new president to to follow and to see everything that changes under a shift of leadership. But thank you so much for coming on the podcast this week, Riley. We can't wait to read more of your reporting in the D.I. Great. Thanks for having me. Managing Digital Editor Kelsey Harrell wrote a project about the education options in the state of Iowa for deaf and hard of hearing students. Welcome, Kelsey. We're excited to have you on this edition of the podcast. How's everything going? Oh, it's going great. Can't, can't wait to you know, get chatting. Yes, we're very excited to have you. And this week you wrote about deaf and hard of hearing education in Iowa. What are the options for these students in the state when it comes to their schooling?
3: Yeah, they have multiple options. The first is they always have the option to stay in their home school district. Um, The school districts in this in the state uh, should all have resources available for deaf and hard of hearing students. If they need an interpreter they should be able to access one. Um, Some students wear hearing aids to help them in class, uh, that kind of stuff, one-on-one instruction. They have, uh, it should be outlined in an educational plan, um, usually in an IEP or a 504 plan. So that's just to make sure that these students get the resources they need. Um, So they can really go anywhere, but there is a school in the state of Iowa in Council Bluffs, um, the Iowa School for the Deaf. It's a pretty small school, Um, less than hundred students go there. Um, And it's entirely for deaf and hard of hearing students. It has to be outlined in an IEP um, plan that they need the resources at the School for the Deaf. Um, and classes are taught entirely in ASL, um, which is American Sign Language. And then there's also English. Uh, so some teachers will write uh, write in English because um, there's, no, there's not quite a written equivalent of American Sign Language. So they write in English. Um, some students are uh, oral and do speak. Um, so sometimes spoken English will be used in classrooms, but for the most part, it's um, American Sign Language, and that's how those students learn. They're bilingual at the school.
0: Yeah, and can you tell us a little bit about the different obstacles that deaf and hard of hearing students face or the barriers that are present in either option they have in their education in Iowa?
3: Yeah, um, so... The main obstacle for the School for the Deaf is it can be hard to get into. Um, you need to have an IEP plan and it needs to be identified that the school is what you need um, as a student. Um, I talked to some parents, um, some former students of the School for the Deaf, um, current students here at the university who either attended the School for the Deaf or never did and went to mainstream school. Um, but a lot of these students or former students talk about the lack of access they have to communication. Um, It's really when you're hard of hearing, you know, you can't always pick up on what everyone is saying. Sometimes you have to ask people to repeat themselves a lot. And they talked about being embarrassed um, for having to do that. And people say, oh, well, I'll just tell you later. And so people just get tired of repeating themselves. But it's what they need to be able to understand what's going on around them. And people who I've talked to who are deaf um, say they're mi- they miss out on those conversations. You can't make connections with people when the way to have a conversation for you is you sign to an interpreter and the interpreter s- speaks um, and translates what you say. So it's hard to make those connections with your peers because you're not in a one-on-one situation. You have someone there um, interpreting for you. Um, so it's just hard to make those connections and there's a bit of a disconnect for some um, deaf people with their with their peers at school. And so at the school for the deaf they found you know they had that access to education. they, they could ask questions, ask for things to be repeated and you know since it's in ASL, they're not straining to hear. Um, they're, it's a visual language so, they're using that visual option and able to connect directly with peers because everyone signs. Um, so really, it it allows them to form a community that that sometimes students miss at um, their home school district, and so sometimes they fall behind because they're not picking up on what's going on in class, and they just you know sometimes struggle academically too. Yeah, definitely, and for
0: the story you also, you mentioned some of the people that you spoke with, but you also spoke with a few deaf professors who teach American Sign Language in Iowa City and in the Cedar Rapids, Johnson County area. What did they have to say about their experiences in Iowa and in the higher education system within the state?
3: Yeah, um, so one of the professors I interviewed um, is Bob uh, He was actually my ASL professor for ASL 4. Um, and so, he mentioned a lot about um, so he has he's taught here in Iowa, um, but he's originally from Pennsylvania. So he told me about um, when he was growing up and the lack of access that he had, and that kind of influenced him to be a teacher eventually. Um, so he just mentioned that sometimes it's been hard for him to find a good interpreter. Iowa doesn't have as strict of licensing um, requirements as other states. Um, so sometimes a deaf person does end up with an interpreter that might be as fluent as the la- in the language as they should be. Um, so he said that he's struggled sometimes getting good interpreters. And parent he said parents don't always know what options their kids have um, for education. And so that's something that he has been working to, you know, advocate for these students in the state. But, you know, he mentioned a lot about um, taking ASL, teaching ASL classes in college, you know, there's a lot of different people taking it for different reasons. Um, Not everyone takes it because they're deaf or hard of hearing. They take it, because they need a world language credit. Um, That's why I took it. Um, But it really teaches about deaf culture. So it really educates, people on you know what what this culture looks like because it is its own culture um, with their own cultural norms and um you know different type of like traditions and I also spoke to Julia Rabe she is what's called a CODA um child of a deaf adult so her dad is deaf um so she grew up uh learning how to sign um and so she signs to communicate with her dad And that's what influenced her to go into deaf education um, and eventually get a doctorate. Um, And so she taught at the uh, lower ed level for a while, um, but she felt like she was functioning more as an interpreter um, than a teacher sometimes. You know, she was working one-on-one with her students, of course, because she can sign. But in other classrooms, she felt like she was functioning as an interpreter um, and some other teachers just they just didn't know how to communicate with the students directly. And so she was just very frustrated about that. So she ended up leaving lower education, got her doctorate, and now she teaches American Sign Language at Kirkwood Community College. Um and so she's a very big advocate of making sure kids in elementary schools and middle schools and high schools have at ad- have access to you know, people who know how to sign, people who know how to work directly with them. And um, she said that it's sometimes just frustrating to know that these kids might not be getting the access to information that they need.
0: Yeah, for sure. And you you mentioned this earlier, you spoke with the parents of a hard of hearing child, Janet and Matt Jergens. And after going through the process of finding the best educational options for their Child Nicole, what did Matt and Janet have to say about advocating for deaf and hard of hearing students in Iowa?
3: Yeah, so it was a really long process to get Nicole into the School for the Deaf. At first, they told her that she couldn't go. Um, I believe it was her IEP didn't outline that she needed it. Um, And but she eventually did get to go to the School for the Deaf. Um, And they really just saw her flourish in the environment. You know, she made the honor roll. She's class president. Um, She, once she got that access to information and communication and she was directly communicating with peers, she was connecting with people, it really kind of changed her mood. And so her parents, after being through that process, um, have really seen the importance in advocating for deaf and hard of hearing kids in the state um, and making sure that parents know what their options are and that there are options for them. So Matt, uh, her dad actually mentioned that he talks to a lot of state legislators and um, local um, people in local government in their area. And he really has started advocating for um, making sure kids can go to the school for the deaf if they need, if they need that option. Um, so he's been very big in uh, you know, getting involved with how to pass legislation at the state level to make things easier.
0: Yeah, that's pretty cool. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Kelsey, and sharing your story with us. Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: Finally, we have Daily Island news reporter Eleanor Hillbrand here to talk about the newest student member of the State Board of Regents. Welcome, Eleanor. We're excited to have you on the podcast as a guest today. How has your week been? It's been good. I'm excited to be on. Yeah, so excited to have you on the side. Uh, And you've been staying pretty busy covering all things higher education And this week, three state's board of regents were confirmed by the Iowa legislator, one of which is a University of Iowa student. Can you tell us a little more about this position and the student who will be taking the seat this month?
0: Yeah, so the student regent position was created in the 1970s. During the Vietnam War, there were a lot of different protests in higher education across the country, including in Iowa specifically at the University of Iowa. And so former governor Robert Ray selected a former Iowa State University student at the time who he was a University of Iowa law student, Steve Zumba, to be the first student regent. And since then, we've had a student who was in one of the regent's institutions on the board ever since. And we've had Zach Least from Iowa State University on the board for a few years now, but he has resigned his position. He's ending his term since he's graduating this spring, and Abigail, or Abby Crow, was selected by Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds. She appointed her, and last week, at the end of the week, she was confirmed by the Iowa Senate, which needed need a two-thirds vote of support, and she was appointed alongside the reappointment of Board President Mike Richards and Greta Rouse, who was a former student regent, and Abby will be the fifth Hawkeye to be a student regent while at the University of Iowa, and she'll be the 13th student regent ever, which is very exciting.
1: Yeah, that is uh, exciting news. And you spoke with uh, Crow about this position and her time at the UI. And what has she done at the university in the past two years?
0: Yeah, so Abby is a sophomore. She's studying human physiology, and she has done a lot. She's been very busy since she got on campus. She was a senator for the undergraduate student government as a freshman, very involved in that branch of shared governance. She was in Dance Marathon her freshman year, and she is still involved in fraternity and sorority life at the moment. And this year, her sophomore year, she became a resident assistant at Slater Hall, Slater Residence Hall on the west side and she's also a nursing assistant through UIHC, so she's been kind of around campus in various different roles over the past two years.
1: Yeah, wow, that that is a lot, uh, like you said, and then you spoke with a few people who knew Abby and have worked with her while she's been a Hawkeye. Uh, What did they have to say about Crow and her appointment?
0: Yeah, so as I mentioned, Abby Crow was a senator for the undergraduate student government, and she actually worked hand-in-hand with the, with the current University of Iowa undergraduate student government president, Reagan Smock, and Smock was really ecstatic about the student region being Abby. She told me that Abby is a hard worker, and she's very passionate about helping others and advocating for students, and Smock also hopes that because the student regent is someone from the University of Iowa, that the undergraduates will be able to speak with her specifically through the undergraduate student government, just so they can have meetings and have conversations so USG can continue to advocate for students on various different levels. The other person that I spoke with was Abby's academic advisor, and his name is Ben Kerbach, and he praised her. He said that she was a very passionate, hardworking, knowledgeable student, and he said that she's someone that we should want in any job or position that requires more than the average amount of guts and brains is what he said. He, he really thought that she was an excellent student when um, he was her advisor and said that she would be perfect for the job. So it's, it's clear from the people that I spoke with who know Abby that she's deeply loved on campus and people are excited for her to step into this position.
1: Yeah, you mentioned that um, she's accomplished a lot and a lot of people have praised her. Um, So what are some other goals of Crow's as she uh, takes on this position for the next few years?
0: Yeah, so Crow, as I mentioned, is a sophomore, and she has not really had your traditional college experience because of the COVID-19 pandemic, which is what she wants to focus on as she steps into this role. Her term began on May 1st, so she's officially a regent, and she's involved in all of the goings on that the Regents are dealing with right now. And she said that she really wants to focus on encouraging students to remain engaged and remain a part of campus and just help higher education in Iowa transition to kind of the post COVID world as the vaccine rolls out and making sure that students, you know, have options when it comes to engagement in classes and just making sure that that continues. So yeah, her main focus will just be helping students get through this COVID pandemic and seeing what happens in the next few years. She just said that she was eager to start working on everything that she can to help advocate, it, to help advocate for students like herself.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you, Eleanor, for uh, being on the podcast today and sharing your story with us.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. The Daily Iowan will be taking a publishing break following Wednesday's graduation edition of the paper until June 16th. Follow the DI on social media and check our website for breaking news updates and the latest COVID-19 related news. We'll be back next fall with new editions of On the Record.